Welcome into the Maroon Like Podcast. I'm your co-host, Andrew Miller. I'm your other co-host, Daniel Faulkner. We have Dan back. Going to have kind of a normal show. Well, it's not a normal show because we're not previewing a game because it's a bye week and we're going to get into a lot of other stuff. But a normal show in the sense that we have a couple, uh, we have two of our co-hosts here on the show. Also, just because I'm thinking about it right now, I have no idea if the mic is going to pick up the sound of my computer making random noises right now. But if it is, I apologize. I can't do anything about it because I don't know what the problem is. Uh, hopefully this thing doesn't like just break down in the middle of recording. That would suck. Uh, but Dan, I see you donning a beautiful Texas Rangers jersey. Your Rangers kind of are Rangers, although I, I can't fully claim them because I don't rep them constantly and I don't follow MLB closely. Uh, but a team that I have cheered for in the past, off to the ALCS against none other than the arch rivals. Uh, from Houston. How are we feeling? My heart is not ready. Um, my liver is not ready. Uh, it, folks, anything you hear from me in the next however long the series is going to be, what starts Sunday, so it's going to go probably to, through like next Monday or Tuesday if it's a full seven games. Um, you're going to see a lot of all caps. If you follow me on Twitter, I refuse to call it by the other name. You're just gonna see a lot. I mean, look, the jersey, it's Texas, all caps. Like, yeah, I gotta I gotta fit the that right there, but it's it's been fun, this little run they've had. I mean, man, like going from like nearly blowing the postseason as a whole to now you're playing Houston the ALCS, yes, and it had to be Houston, but you know, you'll hear more of me either complaining or hyping them up next week when we talk. I think that's enough baseball talk for there because in reality, are y'all here to listen to to me talk about my favorite baseball team? Um, and, and on that topic, I know a lot of your Braves fans, I wish you the best. It's This is uh, being, this is being recorded uh, right at the start of game four between Philly and Atlanta. Wish you guys the best. I I do I like both teams. I know some people don't like Philly, and I get that. But from an outsider, I love Bryce Harper. I love Ronald Acuna. It's a fun series. I want to go to Game Five. Colton just texted back, uh, "We need it. I'm scared." And in response to you in, in this little group chat, you wishing the Braves luck. <laughs> <laughs> Colton, who claims he's not watching this game tonight, which honestly, I will say, if you're at a spot like this, I. I don't think I, I could never do it because it's like if it's a team that I care that much about, I'm not going to not watch. But I do understand if you're like if you just kind of have a feeling of what's probably about to happen, because I'm assuming Colton probably assumes the worst. You're like, if I don't watch this, either I don't have to watch the season end, or I know that there's another game. It's one of the two. So uh I I can't fully blame him for for that approach. Obviously, as you're listening to this, you're gonna know what happened. Um, I don't have much of a stance either way on the Braves, other than that Braves Twitter annoys me. Uh, but I think it annoys Dan at times too, based on some of the responses that he's gotten uh, over the past several months. Um, but you know, uh, look, I'm not everybody who listens to the show knows I'm not the baseball guy. Uh, postseason's fun, like there is no denying that the MLB postseason is one of the best postseasons in all of sports. Like the atmospheres and just the intensity, like that's the stuff that draws me in. And like, it, it gets crazy in October. Uh, so 
I will, you know, hey, be, best of luck to your Braves fans. Although, again, maybe this is over for you at this point. Um, but I, I, if I'm, it I'm, is, I'm, we're sorry. <laughs> I'm not. Um, I don't care. Uh, but uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a Dan. Uh, you know, go Rangers. All right. We're here to talk about Mississippi State, though. Uh, they're obviously on their bye week. Thank goodness. Could not have come at a better time when you consider that this team first half of the season just did not go plan, which is didn't go to plan, and yet they're at a three and three record, which a lot of people had predicted to this point, technically. I think most state fans had the South Carolina game as a win, but there were a lot of people who had state going eight and four that had them three and three to this point. So from a record standpoint, it's not end of the world. It's more obviously the way that they've played. You really needed to reset. There's also injury concerns, um, you know, both those that are not at all confirmed and there's tons of speculation around, but also those that we do have the confirmation on that you have some key guys, especially on the defense that like you just don't have available right now. Um, so they needed this bye week. And if they want any chance of salvaging this season, they're going to have to reset a lot through the bye week. And they're going to have to reset things because this team is bad right now. Um, that's well established. I'm not breaking any news by saying, hey, Mississippi State football kind of sucks. Surprise! Um, yeah. We all know it. And I, I guess most of us know the reasons why, but we, I, I still think we need to, to lay it out here. Like halfway through the season – we're not going to do like a grading thing or anything because it would mostly be like at best C minuses for even the, the, the most uh, positive grading and a lot of Fs around as well. But just kind of like, okay, what are the problems and what is the path forward if there is any? Um, so, Dan, I'll start with you here. I mean, why is Mississippi State football bad? Um, Yeah. Obviously, we 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 came into the season. We said there were going to be a lot of questions. A lot of them have been answered, um, and quite frankly, from the I don't want to word this the wrong way. From the average fan, a lot of people went into the season thinking the defense is going to be good. Boy, oh boy, were we wrong. A lot of folks went into the season thinking the offense is going to be kind of mid. They had no. It's actually been great. Who am I? Who am I kidding? The offense has been pretty good. They've been solid outside okay, of like so one game. I don't want me to interrupt you. Yeah. A lot of people came into the season thinking the offense was going to be great. I think there were a lot of people who came in like the offense will definitely be better. I wouldn't call them great yet. They have improved, but mid is a good way to describe what the offense has been overall. Yeah. From what I heard from people, and it's more so I hang out with people who uh, are like-minded me and weren't believers in Will Rogers. Um, I mean, I think everyone knew that about me. I just I didn't I didn't have faith in the man. Uh in some senses, yeah, in arm strength and all that, he's proved me wrong, but the offensive line sucks. They cannot protect him. Uh and, and caused him to get hurt on Saturday. We still don't have any confirmation on his availability for the rest of the season now. Uh defense look like Swiss cheese out there. Uh I mean, man. They're so bad, it had me worried that the bye week would put points on them. Uh, who knows? Maybe they will. It's it's just not there. And the front, the defensive line just can't get pressure. Uh, not like not like we expect to. How about that? Um, you, you know, it, it, it's crazy, right? We, we did kind of get spoiled with, like, some really, really good defenses. 
um you, you know someone at a someone at the office the other day who said to me he's like dan i didn't realize uh preston smith went to mississippi state and i just named off like five other guys just like well you know about uh montez sweat jeffrey simmons fletcher cox Darius slay he's like oh yeah i know all those guys like yeah they're mississippi state's like really i was like yeah like we produced a lot of guys in the nfl most of them on the defensive line and so that was kind of the standard um that's why i'd say that much is a huge disappointment is just the standard of what Mississippi State defense has become, right? And that's one of the issues there. Um, now, I'm not saying, oh, our standard should be five and seven, anything better. Hey, hey, hoo-hoo, success. That's not what I'm implying by that. What I'm saying is like the amount of just insane talent that we have seen recently, it's something that Mississippi State had not seen in as much quantity as before. You had your occasional guys who were phenomenal back in the day. But the amount of quantity of NFL players, I don't think we've ever had this many guys in the league. Uh, it, it, it's astounding, right? I think that's part of the problem is just, yeah, we haven't lived up to the standard of what we had recently. Um, that offense, yeah, I mean, it's just, yeah, rusty. And, and you know, look, they've been making some changes to get better. In terms of like, hey, putting Kevin Barbe in the booth, and now we're making better play calls and and moving the ball better than we did earlier in the season. I like that. Um, just limiting turnovers hasn't been the greatest either. So that's kind of where I'm leaving it at. There is, is just standard and and not fixing every um, sloppy problem out there. Yeah, and something you said off the bat was, you know, I guess we're gonna pat ourselves on the back a little bit. We were. I don't think we were being pessimists in the preseason. I think we were being a bit more realistic here to point out that there are very there were very real questions for this team coming to the season. Now, I think we both did not expect it to be like this. We I think we both still figured they'll they'll probably be fine, but there might be a couple rough patches, and I don't expect it to all just come together immediately. I don't think either of us saw full on bad which is kind of what they have been. Um, and, yeah, I mean, look, you you hit on a lot of it. If you're going to dive into the offense first, I do think more than anything it's the offensive line. I think you had an offensive line group that already was not that good. Not, 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 I think they were very average, even in the previous offense. But you were running a system that could hide a lot of that with the way that it all came together. Then I think you down, you downgraded an offensive, an offensive line coach. I think Mason Miller was a very good coach. I think he was a good recruiter, and I think he was a much better developer. And we said no to that. And then you also go to an offensive system that puts much more pressure on your offensive line. And this is the results that you're getting. Like, Bad coach plus a system that asks more of them, not a good combination for that group. And again, I know everybody wanted to point out before the year, well, they were run blockers in high school. Okay, well, they're still like they've been in a system the past three years that has still put them in a, a pretty good spot. And again, I know people have varying opinions on, on the air raid, but I think from an offensive line standpoint, this particular group was kind of helped out by the way that they ran things, where so much so often. Ball's getting out quick, and your run blocking is super simplified. And, and I think some of the stuff that you've tried to change ha has hurt it. 
which is going to affect everything. That's going to affect your ability to, you know, what you can do schematically. That's going to affect your quarterback. But that's where I think if you're, you know, the, the office coordinator and the office coaching staff, you have to do a better job of, you know, working around that, which they're starting to do a better job of, but you haven't seen it completely this season, which going into that schematically, I, it was more of a change and more key to what this team was going to be than I think a lot of people wanted to admit. I think there was there were two lines of opinion here of either – well, of people who were positive, there were two lines of opinions of either, one, it's really not going to change that much. They're just going to tweak a few things to make everything run smoother because you were buying into the, you know, we're going to build off what's, you know, here and blah, blah. Or you were of the mindset of they, they're going to completely change it, but that's going to be good because the last offense sucked. There was that opinion as well. It's really been neither. And I know there's arguments uh, back on back and forth right now about between some about this offense compared to last year's offense and all that. I would say let the rest of the season play out before we finalize that. But I, while slightly biased, I, I do think State would probably be in a better spot right now without the change. But look, they have figured some things out as they've gone along. But I think you've very clearly seen that there's a rift between – what some of the coaches want to do, and then what actually fits the players. Um, I've heard rumors about that that I'm not going to completely get into get into get into on this, but I think also just watching it, when you see some of the stuff that they're trying to run with the players that are out there, it's very clear that they have a different mindset of what they want the offensive philosophy to be than compare relative to the players that they're working with. And because of that, you haven't been able to develop an identity. You haven't settled on the concepts that are putting everybody in the best position to succeed. Um, and you look at a guy like Will Rogers, who we know he has his limitations. We know that they're even in the last offense. He had moments where he was just bad. But instead of finding ways to put him in his comfort zone and also make life easier for him, you, you've kind of asked him to do a lot of stuff that maybe just doesn't fit him all that well. And again, I think they're starting to change this, which of course now we don't really know is Will even going to be available going forward. I, I do think they're figuring things out. The offense is clearly getting better as the season has gone along, but there are still some growing pains there. Um, over on the defensive side of the ball, I think more than anything, it's just the talent's not there. Like you talked about the guys that MSU has had. Where are those guys on this team? Um, you know. And and the guys that you had back that you were hoping could be those players, like obviously, you know, Buki Watson, you're not going to say a word about him, right? He's fantastic. Jet Johnson does not project to the next level really because of like the athletic traits, but from a just a guy who is going to go and bust his tail and do his job, can't can't complain. The guy is a good college linebacker who is a good bulldog. Jane Crumity, though, was another one of those guys you had big expectations for. We really haven't seen it. Nathan Pickering has maybe flashed a little bit more than he has in the past in his career. But it's, is it that consistent dominance? I don't I don't think so, which is what you would expect out of him, given his recruiting profile. Everywhere else has just been, though, a, a massive concern. Of right, Like right now, you don't have the guys. And I talked about this on the recap show. There's theories out there as to who's to blame for why those guys are not here. To me, it still ultimately falls on this coaching staff because 
you were recruiting a lot of them. And if you felt that the group you had coming into the year was not up to the standards of what you were going to want and that you felt like some of the way, because again, I, I've, I've heard people suggest it goes back to Mike Leach and the, his philosophy recruiting and some of the guys that he had in power. That, that's kind of a, a theory that's out there um, for why some of the defensive talent has not been as good. Well, he's not here anymore. You've had no problem changing anything else. Why did you not go in the portal and go and get more players who could have come in? If you thought it was – it's not to say they didn't try to portal. They got some guys, but you look – in the secondary, but you look what the front six has been, where, where are the pass rushers that you could have gone after because you knew you had a glaring weakness? Um, so, to me, it still kind of falls in the staff. And, I mean, I think a lot of the stuff that they want to run within this defense, they just haven't been able to, and yet they continue to do it. Um, I think there we've seen limitations to this defense in the past, and it's been made more glaring because of, of the issues that they have, because the talent is not there. Um, it, it's just right, right now, it's not a good group. Like, I think Matt Brock has been a, a downgrade at play caller. And, and for me, it, I mean, it's all around bad on defense. The only path forward, like, whereas the offense, at least it looks like there's an upward trajectory which, again, TBD because there's no idea what scheme they're going to be running because of who the quarterback's going to be or what your best offensive player, what his status is going to be. But the defense, I think the path forward, it's one, Arnett has to take back over play calm. I, to me, that is a change that has to happen during this bye week. Two, I, I, I'm at a certain point, I think you got to go to a youth movement. Not that I think the young guys in the roster are necessarily any better than the veterans, but – you have to try something and you at the very least have to start looking ahead to the future. Now we're going to talk about later, whether or not this staff has a future is another discussion, but you can't treat it that way as a coaching staff. But like for Arnett and his play calling, like for, for me, his whole thing was he, he, he talks about, you know, there's so much responsibility of being a head coach that it's just like putting together a game plan. Can't do it. I understand that mindset, and like there, there, there are big debates at the college level about how feasible it is to continue to be a play caller as a head coach. Obviously, there are guys who do it; there are guys who do it very well. But like, there are debates about can you win a national championship doing that? Go right now. Consider an NIL portal, all these other roster management things that in the day to day operation of a program that you're responsible for. Can you handle that stuff while also handling play calling? I hear it, and look, even at a place like Mississippi State where you're not competing for a championship, it still does apply to extent. This is what I'm going to say. If he's going to have Brad Peterson on the sidelines in his ear every other play telling him what decisions he needs to be making or trying to give, like, hey, you know, you ought to go for it here, or hey, we need to punt this. If you're already going to have people telling you what you need to be doing, then I, I would say I think you can afford to go back to calling the defense. Because that's part of it. That, like That's part of the philosophy is that when you're so focused on calling plays, you're not going to be set up to uh, – you're not going to be putting yourself in the best position to make the right decisions throughout a game. I don't think game management has really been that much of an issue. But clearly, like, you're having influence there anyway. And then, okay, what's the – I mean, if he's got other people making decisions for him, he's got other people calling plays, and maybe this is being unfair. Maybe he's he's making far more decisions than we recognize, but it sure seems like there's a lot of influence from some of these other people on the staff. 
He's not calling. He's got. He's got influence from these people. He's not calling plays. What is he doing? Is it just being rah rah guy out there? Because that's not Zach Arnett. And you want to say, well, he, you know, a recruiter. That's the point. Do we really consider Zach Arnett a recruiter? I don't think he's a bad recruiter, but I don't look at him like uh, a guy who's walking into living rooms and like immediately getting, uh, you know, high school kids to say yes, that's where I'm going. Like, I, I, to me, Arnett's benefit is play, is his play calling. So I think you got to you got to make that change. Um, I know I, I went on for a bit there. I mean, any thoughts on all of that? Well, actually, there was a huge thing I forgot is the reason why we're bad. It, it's actually – I'm going to say everything I had said before is wrong. Uh, there, there's obviously one thing that needs to change. We have to go back to the logo that we had in 2014. We have to do it, guys. I mean, I, I all, all I heard was we got to leave the Crewmera logo. Uh, we were so bad then. Well, it was also the logo in 2014. Let's go back, guys. Let's do it. Get rid of the script state because we suck in it. And I, my opinion was, look, well, we broke it out against Kentucky last year, lost. Broke it out against Auburn last year, nearly lost to a really bad Auburn team. Had to beat them in overtime. The game against uh, East Eastern Tennessee doesn't count because it doesn't count. It's an FCS team. I don't know, man. I think we got to go back to the – to the banner M uh, it, that's all I heard in the off season was it, look, we're going to be better. You know, we sh- we, we got to do all this, the logos, all this marketing, yada, yada, yada. I, I, all, all that you said, Andrew sure it's great and all, but I, I have the real fix here for Mississippi state football and, and sports in general. I got the fix. I fixed all our problems. We go back. We win a championship. We're number one in the country. We won another baseball natty. We go to the Final Four. That's how we're going to do it. I solved all the problems right there, just like that. I, obviously, I, I I gotta show my sense of humor. Obviously, I don't think that script state's cool. I'm a banner M guy. You know, it, look. Obviously, yeah, we gotta do make strategical changes to to start winning games. Right, you have to adapt. As your season goes along, see how you do. Okay, what can I do better? What can I change? How can I fix that? And you really hit a lot of those things right there. And the most, the one I agree with the most is, look, take over the play calling. Take over. Um, I, I get it. Like, coaching can be tough. But someone had reminded me the other day. It was actually it was, uh, uh, Brian, uh, Brian Hayda did it. it was, Matt Brock was the special teams coordinator in 2021. We had the worst special teams in the United States, or just about the worst. Uh, and then Leach said, all right, you're done. And we got better. Now he's the defensive coordinator, and it's like – and maybe I kind of agree with him. Maybe we should just let uh, Brock call offense at this point, you know, see how that goes. I don't feel that, guys. But, yeah, it, it's – it's change is going to have to come from the current coaching staff if they want to stay as the current coaching staff. Um, Now I will say two of those losses are to LSU and Alabama. Um, LSU, their defense is bad. Yeah. We just, we hadn't made the changes on offense we needed yet, Uh, but we don't typically play Alabama in the month of September. We're used to seeing some of these really good starts from Mississippi state. So we haven't played Alabama until November. 
right? You you replace, you know, that Alabama game. Let's say you put Arkansas there. Arkansas is pretty bad too, right? The ne- next week when we preview that game against Arkansas, I mean, it's going to be battle for last or sixth place in the SEC West probably, unless Auburn just somehow, you know, drops a goose egg on a few games. I don't know, but – yeah, uh, it, it, it's going to be fun to to preview. Uh, it, it's it's approaching sicko's territory, right? And and I don't know that. So I will have to say, take a grain of salt that two of those losses are to some the best teams in the conference. South Carolina, you played in just a phenomenal environment, but when you look at the wins, Arizona in overtime, and just. Defense really putting up a bad game against Western Michigan. That's kind of where we get a lot of the the bad taste in our mouth, right? That's where we get a lot of it from is is from the Western Michigan game, and so that that's where I'd say we get a lot of this negativity from, and why we're trying to make so many changes. Because uh, obviously, when when you lose to Alabama and LSU, it's just another Saturday usually. Um, isn't that what uh, some I think Saban said or, or a player said on Alabama a year ago? It's like yeah, it's when you beat quote. Alabama, you storm the field. Yeah, it's when a Alabama fan wins, thing just they do Saturday. to make themselves but, feel better. It's it's stupid, but I know what yes, you're saying. There's um, still enough truth that like if how I lost count of how many years Alabama's beaten us in a row. I'm not gonna try to count either. I don't like math, so don't try to don't count it yourself and make me feel dumb. Um, I think it's sixteen. Oh, yeah. All right. I feel dumb. Well, I can't count, folks. That's all I got on changes. Yeah, I guess. Well, yeah. You you brought up Western Michigan, um, because like that was the game that was. I I, I talked about in the preview. Like this is the game. If you're going to change, like turn things around, it has to start now. Like use this to lay a foundation, which and I and then I they very clearly did. But uh, obviously, I do my film study stuff over in Red and White Nation and. That piece is should be out now as you're listening. It I, I took a little bit longer with it because I knew I wasn't going to be doing a preview stuff this week. Um, and I tweeted out the clips of MSU's defense and just the three plays that stood out as being bad for various reasons or, you know, just kind of key plays. And those three tweets were liked by Western Michigan's offensive coordinator. Uh he, I guess he, he, he came across them and just uh, it, enjoyed seeing someone highlighting his offense lighting up the MSU defense. Shout out to Billy Kosh, uh, you know, air raid guy. So I, I like you. Um, no, I, I think more than anything, like you have to like I, – I keep hammering home. I believe identity matters. I believe – figuring out what you are as a program, both from a mindset and how you play, because that's something that you haven't consistently gotten from the defense. But I think from a schematic standpoint, like they they don't know what they can be and they haven't done things to fix it. But offensive specifically, I think you have to settle on, this is who we are. This is what we can do. This is what fits our guys. This is what is going to be the best at putting every player we have in the best position to be successful. And again, I think that there are people trying to, Whole different directions. Um, just there again, it's rumors, but it's also just a vibe based on what you see happening. Uh, and within that coaching staff, I mean, I hope I'm wrong. I, I, I hope that's not, 
I, I hope it's not the case, and I hope they're just bad, honestly, just entirely than it is that you have coaches that are not on the same page. Um, but it, it feels like there's there's some issues there that have got to get addressed, and that's what, you to me, you have to use this bye week for. You talked, you looked ahead at the Arkansas game, just going forward, I mean, how do we feel? Like, is this a case where we think they get it together and turn it around, or are we just at a point of we know what this team is and that's what they're going to be? You know, I I fear that the coaching staff's going to be stubborn, and they're just going to try to pound it until it works, and that that's going to be a huge problem. I mean, if you want any chance of making a bowl game, you have to beat Arkansas. You have to. It's a road game. Like like you got to get that win right there. Because quite frankly, I mean, we always try to say the Kentucky game's a win because it's at home. But man, I I don't know. I don't know. I have a bad feeling that the coaching staff is going to be stubborn, not change it. The thing is, I mean, really, what you got to do is you just got to look, you got nothing to lose now. You really don't because from Zach Arnett's perspective, a lot of the fans have, have started to turn on him, right? Yeah, I mean, because it looks as though he's going to go 0-8 in conference, something that hadn't happened here in a very long time. So, I want to see that change. I just I have a bad feeling, you know. I, I really do. That's all I can say on that. Just got a bad feeling. Yeah, I think I think there's a chance with the offense that you get to a point where by the end of the year it's it's pretty pretty decent. Um, defensively, I just don't think I think the defense is what it is at this point, and I think even if you make some changes, I don't think it's gonna change. Uh, it changed the results, rather. As for the rest of the way, I mean, it's crazy because, yeah, I, you could, in theory, this the, the rainy schedule is somewhat manageable in the sense of Southern Miss looks horrendous, so there's a win. And then can you find two in SEC play? Arkansas is bad. Um, Auburn is bad, but in – they also, I think, could present problems for MSU. Everybody can present problems for MSU, but some of the stuff they do, I think, is tough if you're state. A&M, I think, is a terrible matchup for MSU, even though they're a team that we've kind of had their number for a long time. Um, Kentucky is probably going to be a bit of a bad matchup, but again, it's in Starkville. Like, they haven't won there since 2008. Um, and obviously, you never know with the Egg Bowl. I mean, if you get a situation where State is five and six going into the Egg Bowl, can you find a way to get the win? Um, you know, it, it, I guess it wouldn't floor me, but I, I mean, I think right now five and seven. I, I think they'll win an SEC game at some point, but this I, I don't think they're going to make a bowl. And it, look, if they don't make a bowl, then it becomes a question of, I mean, does a change get made? Like, Arnett's contract details are out there. I think I brought him up on the show, but like Andy Staples was the first one to report it. Um, I can just, I'll, I'm going to read, I, I think I read this off last time, but here's another. Uh, this is from Andy Staples over at On3 Sports. Arnett got a four year deal that pays $3 million a year. His buyout calls for him to get 50% of that remaining amount of the contract. That means MSU would owe Arnett $4.5 million over three years if we fired him this season. 
Um, unlike Billy Napier's deal, Arnett's also includes a duty to mitigate. In other words, the salary for Arnett's next job would be subtracted from the buyout figure. Uh, because Arnett has proven himself as a defense coordinator, could be possible he could land somewhere else. And basically the point here, I'll, I'll summarize, Arnett's the type of DC that if he gets a job elsewhere, you could be talking about getting like one and a half million a year as a defensive coordinator, which would go, which would subtract from what we would owe him, from the four and a half million we would owe him if we fired him. So you're looking at a situation where MSU over the next like three, four years could be literally paying their equivalent to pocket change. If you fired him, this is a deal state can get out of very easily. Now, I understand that, you know, I know Steve Robertson spoke to MSU officials and they confirmed those are the contract details, but they also said that we will not be making a move. Uh, I, I understand like that's what they, they said. I don't believe them. I think they're just, they're, they're not going to suggest that anything is at risk. I have like, I mean, do you think at all if this team? I, I won't even say zero and eight. If they miss a bowl game, do you think Arnett is back next year? I'm gonna say fifty fifty if they miss a bowl. To go zero and eight in conference, I bumped that up from fifty percent he's gone to eighty five percent that he's gone. That one win is gonna make a difference. The problem is if you're the if you're in the athletic, if you're Zach Selman or you're in that office with him. You look at the direction of the program. Why did you get rid of Joe Moorhead? You didn't have complete control of the team. And then, you know, it all started to fall apart. And you looked at the direction of the program under Joe Moorhead and you thought, okay, he inherited a phenomenal roster, went eight and four, then six and seven, right? He lost that bowl game to Louisville, well, eight and five the first year of the bowl loss there. And you're looking at it, it's like, are we going to get any better? than we were before no and if you're looking at the overall direction of the program would you trust arnett to get a conference win next season too if he was one and seven this year he's even going to win one game next year i mean with the guys the roster that you have it's not likely and the schedule you have next year brutal oh my goodness oh brutal now, so, yeah, I, I will interject. Tough. Obviously, those circumstances, both the roster next year and the schedule, that's going to be the case regardless of who's coaching. But if you're talking about trajectory of a program, that's that would be very tough to, to overcome um, and probably is going to factor into decision, I would think. Yeah, yeah, and and – People like to talk about like how bad we were in the mid two thousands because of Sylvester Croom. I mean, it didn't take Dan Mullen long to just get that bowl streak started. Right, his second season he got it started, and it's still continuing as of right now. Very much in jeopardy at this moment that streak. Um, and and you're looking at it, it's like yeah, you, you're gonna find Mississippi State in a new low spot pretty soon in terms of football. Uh, it just it yeah it doesn't look like likely that Arnett's going to be the coach for a long time, right? Two years, yeah, it, it's very likely that after next season he will be gone. A possibility that after this season he would be as well. What I would hope, because I can see it happening, I pray to God 
And I, I like. I mean, I'll make my stance very clear. I don't have. I don't have confidence in this team. And I think if they miss a bowl game, that's to me, you have to move on. I swear, if it's five and seven, but it's five and seven, and they win the Egg Bowl, and he keeps his job because of that, I am going to lose my mind. Because that should not be the deciding factor, but unfortunately, at Mississippi State, sometimes it is. I obviously it was not for Moorhead, but. That was two years. It was an internal structure thing, which I have some thoughts that that might be. We might have some of that going on as well now. But to me, like, there's zero excuse for this team to not be bowl eligible. It, like, it's that cut and dry with the roster you have. And I've seen people suggest, like, how, the coach, your last coach died. Like, how can you fire a guy for one year when your last coach died? Like, you, this is always going to be. He was on staff. He inherited the circumstances that he did and then chose to make drastic changes. Now, and I'm not, again, I keep pointing out this is not just an offensive talk thing because I know that immediately turns into, well, the offense is no worse than it was a year ago, that whole debate. It is the coaching staff that is in place. It's how the program is being run day to day. Things are very different, and it's very clearly not working. I mean, I, I think the circumstances in which he got the job makes it easier to move on from him because it's like essentially he's working. He's an interim that got promoted to full time is basically what happened on a trial run in my mind. Like. You, you've gotten a chance to see what the program looks like under him. And. I, I know the argument will be some of the stuff Ornette, I think, is trying to do is stuff to lay a foundation long term with a recruiting centric approach and all, and all of that. But I just, I, I don't think you had, I, you could have done some of that. And also I think maintained a lot of what you had going in, in place. Uh, and that's kind of where to, to me, if this is bad, you have to make a move. And I don't think you can afford to allow go multiple years being bad. You, the, the SEC is only getting tough. Your circumstances are only about to get more difficult. I, I know people are going to like, we don't have to play Bama every year and all, and all that stuff. The SEC is going to be more difficult with Texas and Oklahoma. It just is. If you're state, you have to be able to, for this future, you have to have a, a foundation laid of, we can build something up into this. And we can be a part of this. Now, I know if, if you're talking about making a move, you're talking about year one being year one of the new SEC for whoever the new head coach is. I get it. That's a tough circumstance to walk into. But you've kind of already seen a lot of the, the, the same way things happened under Moorhead, where you had a foundation under Mullen, they got torn down, and then you had to build it back up. I kind of feel like a lot of the foundation has been torn down in one year under Arnett. And someone's going to have to build that thing back up. And I don't – you can't afford to have multiple years of it being bottom of the SEC. Now, if you're a longtime listener of the Rune Mike, you then might remember us talking about the men's basketball coaching search uh, going into last year. And Colton and I had decided very early on that we weren't going to dance around not discussing potential targets. Um, 
everybody went into Ben Howland's last year knowing it was very cut and dry, make the tournament or he's gone. Right? Everyone knew that. And once it became clear what was going to happen for that team and that they weren't going to make the tournament, we were like, we're not media. We don't have journalistic integrity that we have to follow. We don't care. We're going to start talking about the job. And we started diving into Kansas. Um, because we ultimately was like, we think that's what people want to hear about. And we kind of, I'll, I'll, I'll say it, we wanted to fashion ourselves a little bit as a place to go. Like, if you want to hear, like, breakdowns of who to target for basketball, this is going to be the podcast to listen to. Obviously, football, it's tougher to pull that off because everybody follows football. Everybody can have opinions. Um, and that's going to be more open. But again, the same rules apply here. We, we're not media. We don't have journalistic integrity. We're not going to shy away from if this thing looks like it's going to be bad, we'll talk about names. And frankly, I put down a really long list of names that I don't know if I really need to go into all on our notes. But let's just talk a little bit about the MSU job. If things turn bad, let, let's get big picture. If things turn bad, what is the status of this job? What what is the what do you think the viewpoint is going to be of Mississippi State as a, a landing spot? Obviously, it's new SEC. You have a sixteen team league, but you have new contracts and, and new money. Where do you how, how do you think it all lines up? I mean, yeah, you got the SEC as a selling point, right? Um. You know, I'm not trying to word this. With with the status of Mississippi State, right? You're the only time you've been able to get a Power Five head coach was Mike Leach, right? A sitting Power Five head head coach. Obviously, to get to coach in the ACC is a big deal. Um, on to any coach knows that. However, right when you first think SEC. You think Alabama, you think Georgia, you think LSU, you think Tennessee, you think Auburn. Those are the name like programs you think of in terms of, like status of a, a an SEC job. You don't necessarily think Mississippi State first, right? That's that's more so your your jumping point into one of those higher up jobs. Dan Mullen, Exhibit A, um, or if I could even use Exhibit B, Tommy Tuberville. Ole Miss to Auburn, right? Like Mississippi's the state as a whole, uh, it's not it's not the prettiest job, right? So, you know, any coach knows, like, okay, if I take the job, it's not going to be the easiest thing ever, right? But any coach in the SEC, it's not easy. It's not easy for Nick Saban. Um, he he puts in a lot of time and effort into winning those championships. So that's what I'd say. It's, it's yeah, it's not the prettiest job. The program as a whole doesn't look fantastic right now with the way State's playing and just the way everything is kind of, in a sense, it has not yet unraveled. It is in the process of unraveling, but we have not yet entirely unraveled, right? That's where I'd put State right now. It's falling apart. I'm born like, you know, if you're going to want to get a good coach, who says like, Hey, yeah, I want that job. Yeah. You're going to have to make a change soon. 
right? Because if it just completely falls apart, the program's in the dumpster, coaches might not want it, right? They might not be like, I, I won't stay away from there, you know? What great coach is like, oh, yeah, I want to go coach at Vanderbilt. Like, yeah, who wakes up and says that? So that's kind of my whole take on that right now. That is a good point that the attractiveness of the job, I mean, if you go multiple years where it's tough and it's just bad product, it becomes tougher to dig out of that. Um, I ultimately, like, I think there's going to be an opinion amongst a lot of state fans that the job is going to be more attractive than ever because of the coaches are going to want to be in the SEC. I don't really think anything changed. I think this is kind of the same job it was, you know, five years ago. And here's the reason I say that. Um, yes, the money is getting better. But, A, and this is a point that I've heard Richard Johnson make over on Split Zone Duo a few times when talking about the current openings in the Big Ten, Michigan State and Northwestern. I, there's some – like when Northwestern fired Pat Fitzgerald, there were some people who were like, Northwestern's going to attract a big-time coach because it's going to be like Big Ten money. Like somebody's just going to go and get that money. Like there were media running with that. And a point Richard Johnson has made is it's not like July 1st hits or whenever the contract starts and immediately all that money's in your bank account. Like you don't get rich overnight. It becomes like they still, you still have to be some selectiveness with it. Um, and if you're talking about Mississippi State and how you're going to be able to pay relative to other jobs, it's still going to be towards the lower end of the power two between the SEC and the Big Ten. But the money is there. The money will be good. The money will be better than a lot of other jobs across the country. Circumstances still matter. There are absolutely some coaches out there who are going to say, bro, I don't care if I don't win a game. I'm going to get in my paycheck. This is a chance to go get paid. I'm going to take it. Most coaches, though, want to be able to advance their careers as much as possible. And... I'm just going to say, like, the the SEC gets tougher now with Texas and Oklahoma. In. Those are two teams you add that recruit at a higher level than you that most years are going to beat you. I know for a long time we laughed at Texas. They look like they have their act together. I know they lost to Oklahoma. They're, that, they, they were, that was not a loss to Oklahoma in the sense of, oh, it's same old Texas. That was like two really good teams playing a good football game is what that was. If anything, that game should be more reason for us to be very terrified of playing Texas next year at Texas, for that matter. They're both very, very good teams. And Oklahoma, they had their one-year blip last year and are now right back to what Oklahoma always does, which is that like it's Oklahoma and Ohio State are the two models of consistency where they've had like five total terrible seasons within the past 70 years. Other than that, they compete for conference championships every single season. They're right back to it. Those are two teams that are tough on you to add. It gets tougher if you add a ninth conference game. Think about all these seasons we looked at at Mississippi State that have been, quote-unquote, good years, where if you add another SEC opponent, keep in mind you're most likely adding a team that is more talented than you are. Does that season end up with the same final record? There's a few years where you get lucky and you play Missouri as your extra game. And you have other years where your extra game is Georgia. Like, that's just the reality. Like, more often than not, and more often than not, you're getting an upper half team, a team that's more talented than you than a team that's not. 
I'm not trying to paint a doomsday scenario. I'm telling you life is not about to get any easier on Mississippi State in the new SEC, even if they keep it an eight-game schedule. It's still going to be difficult. And I think there will be coaches who look at that and say, I don't know if I want to deal with that crap. And I also think the pressure, like, there will probably be – I am never one who is like, if we fire this guy, or is that going to scare away candidates? I never buy in. I never fully buy into that. But there probably would. I don't. I don't think it's not true in the sense of there will probably be coaches if if state does fire Arnett to look and say, I don't really like that one year and the guy's gone. I'm going to stay. Like clearly they got different expectations of what are realistic there. That that's. I'm not saying that's fair. I'm saying that's how I think coaches view it. So all I'm getting at here is I don't think this is a case where I expect State to just be the most coveted job on the planet and, like, go out and get anybody. Now, what I will say is I think they're, if they were to make a move, the competition might actually be beneficial for them this year. We know Michigan State is open. That's a better job. It is. We also know Northwestern is open. Mississippi State is a much better job than Northwestern. In the SEC, I think Sam Pittman's going to be done in Arkansas. That's tough. Similar tier, but they do pay more than state. They do. State's probably in a more, I think state's in a better spot for recruiting them. So it's interesting. How do you balance that uh, in terms of your local talent pool compared to what the paycheck might be? I don't really think A&M is going to open, but there's always the chance. And obviously if A&M opens, that's that's one of those that, that becomes tough to compete with. I will be surprised if Billy Napier gets fired. I think Florida would be I, – I, I know I'm being a little bit hypocritical here because I'm advocating for if State is bad this year, fire Zach Arnett. I think Florida would be dumb to fire Billy Napier. I'm not saying he's a perfectly good coach. I'm saying that there's a lot more going on there than Billy Napier not doing a good job. Uh, Missouri came into the year. Eli Drinkwitz was on a really hot seat. I think he's safe. Uh, Tom Allen in Indiana will probably be done. Now he has a massive buyout, but assuming this is another like three and nine type season for him, that's probably it. Elsewhere, these are schools obviously at the other power conferences that of course don't have SEC or Big Ten money. Boston College will probably open. Houston will probably open. Not worried about either of those. Now, Houston's potential is always there, but it's at the same time, like I don't think that suddenly becomes a job that is tough to compete with if you're Mississippi State. Uh, especially when you're in the SEC and they're in Big 12. Baylor is interesting because Baylor is a job that has gotten a lot more attractive in recent years, um, which it seems crazy that Dave Aranda could be done, but they're bad this year, really bad. Baylor's got money. Like, they got money, money. I'm not saying they would beat out Mississippi State for a coach. I'm saying that would be one to watch. Other than that, maybe Pittsburgh opens. I don't know. I think Neil Brown might have saved his job in West Virginia. Cal, who cares? I don't think they're opening. Going through this, there might be like two, three jobs if state were to open that like you would have to really fight with for a candidate. Assuming like obviously fit matters to certain guys. But I think state would be in a pretty good spot. Now, there is the massive uh I forgot the the, the word here, but you do have to consider what happens if Alabama opens and Nick Saban retires, that throws everything else off. 
that because then that becomes a situation like you had a few years ago where Lincoln Riley goes to USC, which opens up Oklahoma, and you have uh, LSU is open and Florida is open and Notre Dame is open. You have all these major jobs. Alabama opening is a job that can do that. In which case, if you're a MSU, you want Nick Saban at Alabama. <laughs> Excuse me. As crazy as that sounds, for the sake of hiring a coach, you want Nick Saban to still be in Tuscaloosa. Um, but I think State's in a good spot. And, uh, look, I'm not going to run through – I'm actually not going to really run through a, a lot of names right now. I, I think we, we, we've gone on a bit long here anyway. But I do think there, there's a decent group out there that you could go after. So, State could be in position. They, 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 they could make a move, and I think you could probably – I know I put out the very uh, affirmative tweet – um, not affirmative. I, I was very, uh, ex- I can't think of the word. I, I was very confident in saying that Mississippi State would not be landing a big name. Obviously, that kind of how you define big name is up to you. I still don't feel if you're thinking State's going to go out and poach a sitting head coach that who's like making six million a year somewhere, I don't see it happening. I know people are going to point to Mike Leach. I will fire back, not fire back, but I will point out to you that that is a very unique circumstance where you have a head coach who is a cult figure and legitimately, you know, top 20 coach in the sport and one of the most influential figures in the history of the sport, coaching at a power five program that is worse than you. You don't have really any of those right now. And it was also a coach who had wanted to get out of Wazoo for quite some time and really had wanted to get to the SEC for quite some time. The stars aligned for Mike Leach to come to Starkville. That was a outlier-type circumstance. Uh, so I, I don't know if you get that same situation. Obviously, though, that's all speculation. That's all just kind of laying out what could the landscape could be like for Mississippi State. Um, hopefully it doesn't come to that. Hopefully they turn everything around. But we, we, we I figured I, I would get into that and – Lay out a path. All right. To close out the show, we're going to make our picks for the week. Uh, last week, eight and two week for me, seven and three week for Dan. Um, he took Texas A&M. How do you feel about that pick? Coaching lost it. Yeah. Shouldn't have punted, but oh, well. Well, Dan, oh, if well. it had been fourth and half a yard, he would have gone. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. Um, hey, but you got me on Texas. You got me on Texas. You, you called OU. Um, Boomer. I, I saw it coming. Uh, but uh, I, I, I didn't – I wasn't able to give my reasoning. I want to give that real quick. I don't think Texas is bad. I think te- Oklahoma is really good. And I think Texas, as high as they were on their horse, like they were going to come down just a little bit. They're still a playoff contender. But I, I think they're just a little too high on themselves in the moment. They rematch on a neutral site. Texas wins the game. That uh, I'll go ahead and say that Texas well, wins the rematch. It was in, a neutral uh, site. Well, <laughs> in like basically I'm the same so city. Dumb. Oh gosh, yeah. Basically right. the same city. If they were to play again, not exactly. <laughs> But basically. when the rematch happens at Cowboy Stadium, it's it's gonna it's gonna go Texas way. I can't. Why did I think it was at Oklahoma? I watched the whole thing. 
they were on the big TV. State was on the little TV. Like, what was I doing? I don't know. I don't know why I said that. But folks, you know what I mean. When the rematch happens, I I I I am confident that Texas will come back and win. Um, I, yeah, I think they're just a little too high up on their horse. We also differed on UCLA, Washington State. Dan went with the Cougs, and look, it pained me. I love my Cougs, my beloved Cougs. Um, but I had a feeling UCLA was winning that game, and sure enough, they just shut them down. Uh, so I I got that one right. We were both wrong about Notre Dame, Louisville. They're legit. Um, they're a uh, there, there was a good point made on the shutdown full cast that Louisville basically like you, you see Jeff Brom is like trying to run this, like this offense, like he's got all these a million just incredible plays and he's got all these great play designs, but he's working with guys who just cannot do it at all. And it takes every little bit of effort that they can to make it work, but it's working. They're six and zero, and good. Maybe reach the AAC, not AAC, ACC championship game. So, Another week of me ahead of Dan. Um, overall on the season, I'm 48 and 12. Dan is 41 and 19. So, seven game lead for me. We'll see how much ground he can make up this week if he does it all. First off, Texas AM travels to Rocky Top, to take on the Vols. Uh, it's going to be a really good game. Two teams who don't get to see play all that much. Where do you go? I think Tennessee's frauds. Give me the fighting Texas Aggies. I'm sticking with them. They may have let me down last week. I'm going to stick with them this week. So Texas A&M overall plays good defense. Texas A&M also lets teams throw for a lot of yards. And against Tennessee, even though Joe Milton has a tendency to just completely miss like the opposite side of the stadium, when he throws. If there's an offense I don't want to be facing if I'm a defense that gives up a lot of shots down the field, it's Tennessee's. I'm taking the balls. Florida goes to South Carolina. Uh, loser of this game will not make a bowl. I don't think South Carolina makes a bowl even if they win, but if Florida has to win this one to go get bowl eligible, uh, who do you got? Is it a night game? No. Oh, Florida. Florida. Yeah. I was so quick to change. I wasn't sure. Like I had Florida written down. I was like, "Wait a second, wait a second. Nah, give me, give me, give me the Gators. Give me the Gators." Yeah, Carolina's a two and a half point favorite here. Here's my thing: South Carolina's defense can't stop anything. Um, so Florida, despite not being good on offense, should be able to move the ball some. And. I think Florida, the, the offenses that have given them problems are the ones that are able to just line up and run the football right at them. I don't really think you can do that. I don't think South Carolina can do that. Uh, so I, I think Florida just has a slight edge here. I'll take the Gators. Tiger Bowl, Auburn. Technically, it's the second straight Tiger Bowl for LSU because they had Missouri last week. But Auburn goes to number 22 LSU. This is always a weird game, always crazy. Is there a chance Auburn can spring an upset? There is a chance. I'm not taking that chance. Give me the Tigers of LSU. I guess I need to emphasize which Tigers I'm picking, right? Give me LSU at home. You're right. This is a weird – it's stupid weird when these two play sometimes. Yeah, at LSU, they're just better. Could be a shootout, maybe, if Auburn can score. 
Well, given LSU's defense, they might they might let them. But that Auburn offense still is not all that good. I also will take LSU. I think they'll get it done at home. Missouri travels number 24, Kentucky. Uh, both these teams coming off losses last week. Obviously, very different fashion, whereas Kentucky was just obliterated. Missouri lost in a heartbreaker. Um, I think it's going to be a close competitive game. Who do you got? Give me the zoo. But obviously, both teams are on a letdown week. But it's a good Kentucky team, too. And I want to take them. I really, I really, really do. I'm going to take Kentucky. I, I changed my pick. You know what? This could be one of the better Kentucky teams we've seen in, in the recent years, especially with who they got at quarterback. And, yeah, they had that one loss in Georgia. It's Georgia. It's Georgia. Give me Kentucky. I got the Wildcats. So I feel worse about my pick after I heard the weather forecast. It's supposed to be, like, rainy and windy. But I'm going to stick to it. Uh, I'm taking Missouri. Um, ultimately... I think it's the teams that really are able to hurt Missouri offensively are the ones that can throw the football around. Kentucky cannot. And I, I know LSU ran for a million yards on Missouri, but that was a lot of quarterback run game type stuff, option stuff. That doesn't really – Kentucky. that's not Kentucky. Kentucky's just line up, run power at you. Um, I don't I, I think Mizzou can handle that okay. On the other side, Kentucky can get shredded through the air. Now, the weather concerns me. But Brady Cook has been lighting teams up through the air, throwing it to Luther Burden and Theo Weiss. Um, so I think Mizzou can go on the road and get the win. Typically, we'd pit every conference SEC game, but none of us were going to pick Arkansas to win. None of us were going to pick Vanderbilt to win. So whatever. Let's let's get to some other national games. The game of the week, top 10 matchup, top eight matchup. Number eight, Oregon travels to number seven, Washington. Huge rivalry game. Really... I mean, two Heisman contending quarterbacks between Michael Penix and then this is the year Bo Nix. This game should be awesome. Who are you taking? I'm so excited for it. And before I pick, I just want to say I hate both these schools right now because they decided to go to the Big Ten. They're part of the group that ruined it. Um, that's aside now. Give me the soon-to-be 13-0 and Washington Huskies and the Heisman winner, Michael Penix Jr., I'm calling my shot. I, I was a Caleb Williams believer. I don't think he can lead USC to the to the best wins to win the Heisman. This is Michael Penix Jr.'s Heisman game. Give me the Huskies. Making Oregon. This this comes down very very okay. Oregon offense or Washington offense both very good. Oregon defense pretty good. Washington defense, not really. Their defense has some problems, and I think Oregon is the type of team that can take advantage. I think I think Oregon's defense is able to make just enough plays in this game, whereas Washington, I don't think we can make many stops. So I'm going to take the Ducks. Number 23, Kansas goes on the road to Oklahoma State. Kansas, last week with their backup quarterback in, Jason Bean, essentially running the triple option, hung 50 on UCF. Meanwhile, Oklahoma State, Got a win over Kansas State at home when no one was really anticipating it to. Feels like Oklahoma State's kind of settled on a quarterback, figuring some things out. Stillwater's a tough place to play. Which way do you go here? I, I should say, uh, still expected to be Jason being a quarterback for Kansas. Jalen Daniels probably still out. I'm going to still rock with Rock Chalk Jayhawk for now. Uh, I'm pretty sure I am. Man, if I, if I changed it, I what an opportunity I'd have to possibly level us up 
right in terms of our records and I almost want to change it just for that and actually wow this is the second pick I'm going to change and not because that I want to just make us different look I watched that Oklahoma State Kansas State game great game Oklahoma State looks solid their defense right getting the interception the pick six there to close out the first half I have a good feeling here I have a good feeling I mean goodness as bad as we thought Oklahoma State was, were people considering that Mike Gundy might be on the hot seat? I mean, he's been there so long, though. Uh, I don't know. But I think Oklahoma State makes their bounce back after being as seemingly as everyone thought they were as good last year, as bad as they thought they were this year. I think they bounce back here. Or, like, continue their trend upwards, not bounce back. Yeah, I feel weird about this one. Um which you kind of already gave away my pick because of what you what you did, which I, I don't care. It's fine. Yeah. We, I didn't we even realize fill, I did that. <laughs> we typically fill, fill out our little chart beforehand um, just to make it easier. I'm going to ride with Kansas. I, I don't feel great about it. I do think this is a tricky spot to be in, but I just, I trust Lance Leipold a lot. Um, by the way, because I know people are going to say Lance Leipold for Mississippi State. I would love it. Don't think it's going to happen. Think he's going to the Big Ten. There's like one of the few coaches that I'll talk about. I, he would be a great hire, and I think if you're Mississippi State, you are a better job. I just I don't think you can get him to come to the SEC. Maybe, um, but yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go Kansas. Perhaps you've alluded to how you feel about the upcoming game based on your comments about Caleb Williams. Number ten USC travels to South Bend to take on the 21st ranked uh, Fighting Irish in Notre Dame. Obviously, huge rivalry series. Which way do you go? I think Caleb Williams is great. I think USC's a fraud as a whole. That that's my take. I mean, man, they they looked ugly last week, and and maybe they're looking ahead to this game, but maybe Notre Dame was too. I don't know. I'm not. Yeah, I know. I, I didn't bet against Sam Hartman last year, and it bit me in the butt. I'm a not bet against him again this week. If I know anything, I do not bet against Sam Hartman. Give me the Fighting Irish. I'm going to take USC. Weather is supposed to be terrible in this game, which does concern me a little bit because that might favor Notre Dame. But I still trust USC's offense just to be able to do enough. And for as much crap as USC's defense has got, which it deserves, they're actually way better than they were last year. It's just last year they were, like, astronomically horrible. So, like, they're still bad. They're still bad this year. But, like, they have moments. And Notre Dame's offense, I, I think, is starting to hit a little bit of a wall. I still trust the Trojans a little bit more. Um, so I'll, I'll go with uh, USC. Other team from California, uh, other team from L.A., for that matter, number 18 UCLA goes up to number 15 Oregon State. It's a really good Pac-12 battle. A couple teams that want to be able to contend for the Pac-12 title. Uh, I think this is, you know, a case. Really, you got to win this game, though, if you want to do that. Who you got? I love me some DJ Wagalele. Give me the Beavers. Did I say his name right? Not at all. Okay, cool. Well, still, DJ, I trust you. Give me the Beavers. I don't even know what you said. I, I was, I was, I was literally about to come in and say, "Yeah, sure, that's how you pronounce it." Um, DJ Uagalele? Like, is that not it? I don't know. Uagalele. <laughs> I don't watch. I don't watch his games. So, right, I don't have the volume on when I have his games on. So maybe that's the reason why. Uyunglele, I believe, is the pronunciation. Um, I'm taking UCLA. 
I like the Beavs a lot. I would prefer the Beavs get this win as, you know, one of the members of the Tupac. But again, here, just a little quick analysis. UCLA's defense is awesome. And I think they can give DJU a lot of problems. Oregon State's defense, not all that good. And I think UCLA, even with a freshman quarterback and Dante Moore, can make some plays. So I'll take the Bruins. Little G5 matchup here on a Friday night. Tulane goes up to Memphis. Uh, Two teams contending for the AAC crown. Uh, Memphis kind of surprisingly good this year. Tulane obviously coming off an incredible season, so you expect them to be good. I'll be honest, I really haven't watched much of either of these teams this year. In fact, the only Tulane I've watched were a couple minutes against South Alabama and then like maybe half the game against Ole Miss. So I don't really have much of an analysis here at all. I'll just go ahead and make my pick. I'm just going to take Tulane. Yeah, I, I, I don't think I watched it. I watched two minutes of their South Alabama game, watched most of the game against Ole Miss. I haven't paid a single bit of attention to them ever since then. Memphis, I remember watching, I think it was a Friday night. They beat Navy. And because of that, I guess I'll take them to beat Tulane. Uh, it's not a guess. I mean, it, in this, it's just more so I'm picking um, home field. That That's kind of the basis of my decision because I'm right there with you. I don't really know a whole lot about these teams. So I just go with the home team. Last pick, another Pac-12 matchup. I love how many Pac-12 games we picked this year, by the way. that's It's great to see, and it's an absolute freaking shame. This is it. So enjoy it while we have it. Arizona goes up to number 19, Wazoo, uh, up at the Palouse. I think Arizona's still going to be playing their backup quarterback. Um, Fia, I believe is his last name, but he's played really well for them the last few weeks. Um, kind of looks like a Pretty similar talent to Delora, or I don't know. It's not has they're not the same style of player. What I mean is like the, the drop off has not really been there from Delora to Sophia. Uh, so I mean, like the two teams, good offenses, two teams with but well, Wazoo's defense is actually decent. Arizona's defense is not. Uh, but what what are you gonna take? I cannot pick against my Cougs. Cannot. I will not pick against my Cougs. Give me Wazoo. Yeah, I'm going to take Wazoo here at home uh, as well. Nice bounce back for them. So we had six differences on this one. Um, there's a chance for you to get all the way back within one game. Seven. Seven? Yeah. Tamu and Tennessee as well. I called them Tamu. I counted six, including that. One, two, three, four, five, six, yeah. What? It was great podcasting, but huh? because we picked ten games. Oh no! A- yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah. Unless unless I accidentally picked the bye week to beat Mississippi State, then that would be extra. I guess I don't know. It is seven. For I I was for whatever reason I was ignoring the too late Memphis one. Uh, oh, thinking okay. We had the same. We're going on the so wrong the, way there. Yeah. There's a chance for you to tie this thing up. There's also a chance. That, for you to double your lead. <laughs> that's right. Um, so, that, I mean, obviously, that's not going to happen. Like, it's going to probably be somewhere in the middle, but be really interesting to see how that all shakes out. All right. My voice is shot. Um, this episode went, went long episode. I, I obviously, this would have been a good opportunity. I guess either for this episode or the what would typically be a recap show to talk like basketball with that season coming up. 
I'm thinking we're going to push that back to like closer to the season tips off. Um, and just we'll have this weekend off. So no recap show. We're going to go and say that now. We will be back uh, to talk about Mississippi State taking on Arkansas and what is going to be kind of a season-defining game for the Bulldogs coming out of off the bye week. Uh, but that'll do it for us today. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks to Dan for hopping on. As always, swing your sword. Hail State.